You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson and Sarah Raven. At this time of year, the hedgerows are really bursting into life with the first black thorn blossom and in the gardens I can see magnolias in their beautiful seashell-like bud all starting to open out beautifully and the first signs of apple trees and pears coming into life too. And over the horizon as I look out the window, I can see the beautiful pink of cherry blossom. So blossom really is something that makes our minds automatically evoke spring memories and Blossom allows the garden to properly wake up and it's wonderful driving or walking around to see the countryside waking up too. And I know at Perch Hill there are beautiful old hedgerows full of hawthorn, blackthorn and lots of other types of beautiful blossom all starting to come out where Sarah lives. So I really can't wait to visit Perch Hill in the next few weeks to see the farm and the garden start to properly wake up for spring. It's one of those times, I always think, when April turns into May, where the countryside is actually more beautiful than a garden. And, you know, tulips are sort of starting to go over and the perennials haven't yet got going. You know, the sort of dolphiniums and the roses and stuff like that haven't yet got going and your sweet peas haven't got going. But yet the lanes are starting to fill with, as you say, hawthorn blossom, and then this beautiful understory of cow parsley. And for me, that is sort of, oh, it's just like, oh, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And we're lucky because England is one of the few places I think that has that. You know, we all yeah. go on about places like Australia and hot places, but there isn't the same massive flocking of blossom, is there, that, that Europe has? Yeah, well, not England, but Britain, perhaps. No, Britain, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I remember outside, in fact, I'm a twin, and outside my twin's bedroom window uh, by the age when we were no longer sharing a room, she's called Jane, there was this absolutely amazing tree of a plant called Prunus Haku, And I've planted one here, but it's still quite small. But it's, it's just exquisite. It's these big white saucers, really, I mean, just perfect with these unbelievably beautiful yellow then into pink anthers. And you get these great billowing clouds of these things. So one bough will have like a hundred flowers on it. Oh, they're just exquisite. They really are. And my parents always allowed me to pick two or three boughs from this tree and I would bring it in And as with any blossom, I would sear the stem end in boiling water. And because it's woody and it's got lots of bark or lignin on the outer cell walls, you actually need to put it into a bucket of water, the bottom 10% of the stem, for a good minute. And it really takes that. And that will stop it dropping its petals like confetti all over the table. And it will actually last then a a good week on the whole in a vase. And I remember we would have it in our hall with just these few boughs of this incredibly exquisitely beautiful thing, which, of course, the flowers coming before the leaves. And then as the leaves begin to age and drop 
out come the coppery green and and lovely tones of the spring leaves. It's a picture of perfection, I think that. <laughs> and I remember painting it when I was a girl and not quite realizing that on white paper, white blossom is rather difficult to paint. That's why apple blossom, which is pink on the whole, is uh, easier to paint if you're a painter. But anyway, oh, yes, I, I, I love blossom. And of course, yeah. with, with blossom, you then get fruit. And uh, what we have here is, I, I've been very bad at planting trees, I'm ashamed to say, really good at planting hedges. But because I've got quite an impatient nature, I concentrated on the annuals and perennials and, and not so much the shrubs and trees. But after about 10 years, I did put into a hawthorn hedge an upper layer. And it's, I was inspired by Great Dixter, uh, which is a gardener here that was planted by Christopher Lloyd and now looked after by Fergus Garrett, very famous garden in East Sussex. And they have this most lovely crab apple called Malus hooperhensis. And it's got, again, these absolutely delicious single white, slightly tinged pink sometimes, I think, flowers. And that's an absolute stonker, just so beautiful. And, mm. uh, and then there's one at Sissinghurst, rather similar, called Dartmouth which is also completely lovely. And we have both of those here. Yeah, I love crab apples. Yeah. Do you, do you have... Yeah. Oh, yes, you've got that wonderful one. Yeah, a little one bit called of, Wisley. Yes, opposite you, isn't it? It's not in your garden. Mm. It's in the little bit of no. ground. Yeah, a bit of wasteland. And um, they came as bare root trees about five years ago. And I planted them quite closely together. It's a new thing that's hopefully going to become in vogue, this idea of planting sapling fruit trees quite close together so you quickly get a canopy within a town that ah. then becomes much more of a sanctuary for songbirds in particular. So I've planted these crabapple trees, you know, the space of my arms outstretched between mm. them. But what it's created is this wonderful thicket of blossom at this time of year. And I'm really hoping that, you know, in five years' time when they've properly grown a bit, we'll get one of my favourite songbirds, which is the bullfinch. And they mm. famously love fruit blossom. So if yeah. you're really keen on your apples, you probably wouldn't want a flock of bullfinches to descend. But I live in hope that one morning when I'm washing the pots, I look out and I see yes. a lovely pair of bullfinches having a nice time. Yeah. Um, so but Wisley is my favourite because it's a deep beetroot blossom. It really is almost Floridian and it's, it's neon pink. Yeah. Um, so it's quite out there, but it, it does look fabulous. And then I remember you bringing me some, and and, and I remember yeah the apples because the apples are so beautiful. I mean they're mm. like deep dark sealing wax red, aren't they? Really, yeah, snow really white rich. Apple. Oh, mm. absolutely um, incredible. And that's the thing about crab apples is that I find them much easier to grow in just in a normal domestic garden, which we are here, because you just don't get all the pests and diseases that you get with eating apples. I, I don't know. We yeah, seem I to agree. And the get... pruning's a lot less rigid as well. You know, the people yeah. go on about pruning apples. I haven't pruned these crab apples once and they look no. perfectly fine. Yeah, you can just um, sort of leave them to get on with it. They don't get scabbed. Yeah. They don't get all those things. You don't have to put those grease bands around the trunk and all that, which I'm sort of, I'm just not very good at all that stuff. And so if you just want a really beautiful, beautiful blossom and then a really beautiful fruit, really pretty much for ornamental purposes rather than eating, I think crab apples are the way. And then there's another plant we have here, or two more actually I really want to mention. And the first is Amelanchia. And oh, yeah. when we made the Dutch yard here, 
it was very much inspired by my trips to Holland, where really quite a lot of front gardens in the Netherlands have a, a sort of combination of a, a brick paved area, almost like a Vermeer painting. And within that, they then have a catalpa tree, a blossom tree, and really quite often it's prunus, no, it's sorry, Crataegus prunifolius. I always get that the wrong way around. So it's actually a hawthorn, but it's got sort of plum-like fruit. And it really is a massive, massive haw, much bigger than just a normal hawthorn that you'd get in the hedge. And then they also have hydrangeas and they have amelanchias. And it's sort of amazing how you, you drive down, you know, through a town and you'll see that repeating pattern. And it's rather beautiful and rather calm. And so here in our Dutch yard, we have three multi-stemmed amelanchias and two of the prunus, crataegus prunifolia, I got it wrong again, and one catalpa tree. And they look fantastic. And the, the reason I love the amelanchia is that they're just coming into flower now and they've got this really pretty, very informal, almost more like sort of gara in its flower in a funny way, sort of more butterfly-like. Very Japanese, isn't it? Very isn't it? silk painting. Yeah, yeah, it's like a silk painting, and but not sort of chunky like Prunus Taihaku. No. And then very quickly followed by these beautiful bead-like bright red fruits, which the reason I love them so much is that they'll ripen and then sadly, over a week, the blackbirds just strip the lot. But of course, I love that. I mean, I, I'd love them to hang around a little bit longer, but they adore them, the blackbirds. And the place is just sort of, the bird song over that moment is incredible. And then in the autumn, with the Namalanka, you then get beautiful foliage turn. And so you get this wonderful mix of reds and ochres and mahoganies, these beautiful mix of colours. So it, for a small garden, an amelanchia, I think, is is a really, truly wonderful tree. And the prunus, the crataegus prunifolia, will I never get it right, is another that I, I would really recommend. Whereas the first one I mentioned, prunus taihaku, is, um, you know, you need to be Hyde Park, really, to have that. We've it's, got a tiny cherry in a pot. We've had it for several years. I just bought it for my mum as a Mother's Day present, and that's got a strange... Japanesey name but this one really is a tiny cherry almost the size of a bedside lamp ah. and it just seems to grow into itself really beautiful and gnarled claw-like branches and um, I like it because it's the only white time the garden at home's white before everything else starts to wake up so it flowers really early almost in fe February time yeah and I've got it underplanted with uh, crocus one of the white crocuses Joan of Arc I think it's called yeah but that's a lovely perennial, more of a shrub than a tree. But it does give that blossom that Sarah's been talking about. And of course, I mean, Japan, they have these massive mm. festivals, don't they, um, yeah. of, of cherry blossom. And I think the whole theory, I'm sorry to be culturally ignorant, but I think the whole theory is it's the transient beauty of life kind of thing. And the petals fall and then they're almost as beautiful in the grass and on the ground as they were on the tree. But um, then life moves on and the season mm. moves on. And so shall we to talk about our next subject, which are pumpkins and squash. Now, as a somebody who I would say isn't overly fond of your food or growing vegetables, unless they are extremely handsome and ornamental, pumpkins and squash are rather in your alley, I think, Arthur. 
Yeah, I love pumpkins. I really do. And they're very good for a small garden because they are very happy to climb and then grow over things like your old coal shed or your shed roof. Or if you've got a balcony, they can tumble off the the trellis of the balcony. So they are a a small garden plant, really, if you can use them up rather than across. Um, So that's how I use pumpkins. And I Mm. love the big jungle-like leaves. I love the little tendrils they produce. So particularly in terms of um, the gourds, which Mm. are the most lovely thing to grow for still life rather than eating, mostly. They really do bring the the small garden to life in the autumn. And you'll be glad to have grown them because regardless of what pumpkins you might see in a farm shop, you will always have a nicer one that's been nurtured by you and, and homegrown. The varieties are far more diverse if you can be bothered to just sow a few seeds in the spring than if you think, oh, I can just buy them. You honestly mm. won't find a lot of the most gorgeous ones for sale. So I grow them every year. And so when are you sowing them and how do you sow them? So I, I don't sow them until actually probably mid-May for me. You can sow them earlier if you want, but I find that if you do, you need a heated propagator and they are one of those seedlings that love to go leggy on the windowsill. So mid-May mm. means the soil outside is properly starting to warm up. There's far less risk of a frost, which pumpkins and squashes will hate. So they're still germinated inside. The seeds are quite big. So they go into a a nine centimetre square pot, one or two. If you do two, that one seedling either needs to be discarded or potted on once they've germinated. Because the seeds from the start, as soon as they emerge, are big. You'll get these two big elephant leaves. They're similar to courgettes that we've already spoken about. But by sowing them late, it means they can quickly go outside and they stay nice and healthy in that lovely vivid green. But the feeding is really important with pumpkins. I actually start feeding them as soon as they've got the second pair of adult leaves with a very light seaweed feed. Because if they start to go hungry, they they quickly lose their vigour and start Mm. to look tired and old. So if if you imagine the size and bulk of a pumpkin and how much liquid is involved in that fruit, you really have to keep them well fed and well watered from the outset. So I sow my pumpkins often with a dahlia, but in a very large pot, so a dolly tub. Mm. And what I'll do is I'll get a good stout cane, ideally a thick hazel cane, and the pumpkins then trained up the cane. Sometimes if I'm growing them in a trough, for example, or a tin bath, I'll do a noughts and crosses grid Uh. upstanding. (gasps) And so the pumpkins start to grow up that. And the nice thing about doing a noughts and cross grid is once the squash starts to swell, you can get an old pair of tights. My mum often lends me a pair of hers. And then you just put the tights under the fruit, tie the tights onto the canes that are going horizontal, mm-hmm. and then the, the squash is supported by those tights. And um, because they're very thin tights, the sun can still ripen the fruit. Mm. And it just means that the squash, as it gets heavy, doesn't fall off. I'm very surprised at you about that, Arthur, though. What? I'm just going to interrupt. Because you you are such a fusspot on the looks of I things. Know. So I think you've got to learn origami. No, not origami. What's the stuff you do with not paper but string? I haven't got time for that. Oh, macrame. It's <laughs> called macrame. I've just remembered. <laughs> you need to learn how to make macrame hammock. But the, le- the leaves honestly are big enough so you don't you don't see the tight element. I can't see you as um, a man with tights hanging in your They're my mum's, they're not mine. <laughs> I'm not saying they're yours. I'm just saying you're such a fusspot about how it looks. Hanging, having old tights hanging there. I, I know. I, I'm not approving of that. Well, this, this, is, this is why it's a good job I'm not a vegetable gardener, isn't it? Because clearly the, the visual element would be out the window and we'd be in a, a horrible... 
garden and full you of you were giving a very good lesson before I rudely interrupted. <laughs> so the, the point is support support your pumpkins and gourds as they swell. Give them a good cupping somehow uh, and they will be very happy. But yeah, the key to making them look good and stopping them from getting mildew and looking tired is to feed, feed, water feed um, yeah. as much as you can once they've started to mature and you can't go much wrong with them really. Yeah, And um, there is a variety I grew last year, which is one of Sarah's favourites because it has a very good nutty flavour called Crown Prince. And I love yeah. that one because it's a duck egg blue. Beautiful. Yeah. There's also a new one from America called Black Fusku. I think that's yeah. how I pronounce it. Futsu, is it? Or Futsu. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, but we both love that one, but we're finding that you have to pick it, don't you? And then it ripens inside. Yeah. It definitely, it, it struggles. I was disappointed with mine, but I had to wait till Christmas and by then it had gone that lovely peach mm. salmon brown colour. But you pick yeah. it and it's black. Yeah. And then it yeah. changes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything you, you've said, I mean, I hardly need to add anything, but I think there's one thing I, I think is really important with growing squash and pumpkins, which is particularly the very quick growers like early butternut, it throws mm. out these great long green wands. I mean, literally oh, like yes. great long arms. And what I find is if you allow those to just romp wherever they want to, they actually, the plant chooses vegetative growth rather than flowers and fruit growth. And so what happens is it literally just drops its flowers without them forming fruit and ripening. And you've got to stop that happening. So once one of the arms, one of the branches or stems or whatever, gets to a couple of metres long or even a metre and a half, you pinch out the tip. And you, it's quite scary because you think, well, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to kill the plant? But it doesn't at all. It, you'll then see very, very rapidly within a few days, lots of the fruit starting to swell, whereas it was just dropping off. So pinching mm. out the tips of your squash is a really key thing, particularly with the strong growers. And the other thing is you can eat those. And I remember one of my sort of chef inspirations of life was Rose Gray, who sadly is no longer with us, but taught me quite a bit about vegetable cooking when I was training to be a doctor at Charing Cross Hospital, because of course the River Cafe is on the river there in Hammersmith, just, just near the hospital. And so I waitressed there two days a week. And um, I remember her teaching me how to make a squash tip frittata. And so literally, we picked the, um, the climbing squash tips from the terrace outside where she was growing them. And we wilted them down with lots of mint, feta and four eggs. And it made the most delicious frittata. It really did. Absolutely mm. lovely. You know, almost tasting of like squashy courgettes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to quite describe. Anyway, it was very, very tasty. And the only other thing to remember about pumpkins and squash is, of course, that you can grow them actually on your compost heap. So we plant ours just quite often. We just dig a little hole in the top and put some compost from the one that is really well rotted and, and ready to be spread, really. So you've just got a cell that that goes into the the seedling and then it just literally cascades down from the top of your compost heap or we have an organic farm here and um so we have a huge manure pile because um we have beef cattle here and they're in for the winter and so we plant three squash or pumpkins onto those and they really romp away and one that I love for growing in that sort of way because they're rather crazy 
an ornamental is tromboncino, which is shaped like a trombone, but it doesn't make such good eating. But like you say, ornamental gourds and squash are almost as pleasurable as actually <laughs> eating them. And often you can't buy them, so it's well worth growing them. So the relevance to now is both Arthur and I are sowing our seeds of our pumpkins and squash. You don't want to sow them too early and you certainly don't want to plant them out till the middle or end of May. And as much muck as you can possibly give them, we'll see them get off to a really good start. Absolutely. Thank you very much for listening to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with Sarah Raven and Arthur Parkinson. And next week, we are going to meet two very inspiring people called the Land Gardeners, who are going to teach us all about compost and looking after our soil. See you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.